Hey, well, welcome to the last weekend of The Good Initiative. We're uh, finalizing everything today, and today is the opportunity for us to be able to uh, give our pledges, which we're really excited about. So we're gonna do some things that are a little bit different today. Um, I'm gonna run through uh, just a couple of scriptures as Paul ends uh, our series on this. We've been looking at chapter, 2 Corinthians chapters eight and nine during this time. And we've been talking about generosity and what it looks like for us to be people of generosity in such a way that it allows us to impact Central Florida and for many, many more people for Christ. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Today, I'm also gonna talk about the challenges that we have in the church as a whole and what we're trying to do to actually kind of re- recover some of the, 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 the ground that's been lost over, the, over time. And so excited about today, been praying for you, been asking God to kind of just open your hearts and your minds as we move forward. So let's go ahead and just look at these two verses and uh, we'll dive in here. Second Corinthians. Uh, chapter eight, Uh, we're gonna start in verse 10 and it starts like this. It's Paul talking. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So let me remind you the big picture of what's taking place right now. Paul, the apostle Paul, is uh, traveling around to churches in Europe and they are, he's trying to raise money to solve a problem that they have. And the problem is there's a famine that has struck Jerusalem. And the famine is so de- desperate and so you know, difficult for them to solve that Paul decides he needs to go and he needs to recruit people to be able to give money for the, for the, uh, the famine and, and to give to Christians. Now, one of the interesting things that we see in the scriptures is that there is an order of giving in the Bible all the time. And it always starts, and in the Old Testament, it started with God's people, the Jewish people that were, that were following uh, the Lord in that time. In the New Testament, it follows Christians. And the idea behind it is that we give first to the church and to each other before we fund other things. Now, why, why would we do that? Why wouldn't we just go fund other things first? When I, here's the reason why. I think unless the church is healthy and unless we're taking care of each other, then when people look at us, they'll ask the question, why do I wanna be part of you? because you look just like the rest of the world. We live in a society today that is filled with controversy. It's filled with hatred. It's filled with anger. It's filled with all kinds of division. And one of the ways in which we stand out as Christians is not being those people. We don't participate in that foolishness because it's not who we are. We're followers of Jesus. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a result of that, we take care of each other first. And that's why when someone falls down here financially, we have a system in place to be able to help them through that process. And so Paul's doing exactly the same thing 2,000 years ago. He's starting with the church and he's saying, listen, I need to solve a problem. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are struggling, right? So he says here, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. So what he means by the word judgment here is he's like, this is what I want you to know and this is what I want you to do. In other words, the first part of this, and here's my judgment is, is, is could be easily said, and here's what I want you to know and here's what I want you to do about what is best for you in this matter. What he's talking about here about what is best for you in this matter is, he's saying to participate and to be part of being able to give to meet this need in Jerusalem is what is best for you in this matter. Now, let's, let's peel that out a little bit and talk a little bit about that. When we give, we generally give from two places, right? First, we give to what we're giving to. In other words, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about this. And man, I've just heard one person after another person saying, this isn't even a hard ask. This isn't difficult to give to because we're giving to people in their mental health and their spiritual life. This stuff makes sense. It all kind of makes sense. But
But that is what you're giving to. You're giving two projects. You're giving two things that we're gonna be building over the next three to five years. And so many of us just think about our giving stopping there, that we're giving to something, right? But the scriptures are always talking about not just what we give to, but what we're giving from, that the heart actually matters in this process. And that is why the apostle Paul says, listen, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to do. And this is what is best for you, that you participate in this. And of course, we have two goals for this giving initiative, right? The first goal, the primary goal of this is 100% engagement, no matter who you are. Now, if you just came here to Grace today for the very first time, this is a weird day for you to come, all right? Next week is gonna be totally different. And by the way, if you've never been to Grace before during Christmas, everything's gonna be Christmas next weekend. And if you've never been to Christmas at Grace, you, you, (laughs) it's gonna be amazing. You're gonna love it, okay? So, uh, but if you hate Christmas, you should come back in January, okay? Like it's gonna be all, Santa threw up on the place, all right? It's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be amazing. All right, but so we have this thing where we're giving two projects, but we also have this heart that we're giving from. And he's always wants us to be ready. We talked about this a little while ago, um, but it's the idea that God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful in the original Greek doesn't mean somebody who's just Pollyanna and happy at all times. It means, the word cheerful there means at the ready to give. In other words, God loves people when he says, here's what I want you to do with my money. You do with his money what you do, what he asks you to do. That we are ready, that we don't take from God and say, God, now this is mine. You gave it to me, I'm gonna hold on to this. This is all mine. Instead, we don't have ownership mentalities over what we have. We have stewardship mentalities. And stewardship is the temporary management of something that belongs to someone else. And when we're managing something that belongs to someone else, that someone who owns the thing that we're managing will one day hold us accountable for how we dealt with it, right? So when God gave me the children that he gave me, the two boys and the girl that he gave me and my wife, uh, I'm accountable for that. I'm accountable for how I poured into them, how I love them. I'm accountable for my resources. What did I do with them? Was I at the ready? Why? Because this is what's best for you in this matter, Not only are we to give to something which actually solves a problem, but we're also working on our own hearts in this process. The spiritual life is always a life of surrender. We are constantly giving to the Lord something in our life and then taking it back, right? We give him forgiveness. Well, I'll forgive them, Lord. No, I won't. I want to move past the situation. No, I don't. You know, we're just doing this back and forth, but it's always that process of just continual surrender. So here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to do. This is what's best for you. Last year, last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So he breaks it into this two parts. One is the desire to give. That is the giving from, right? That they really just genuinely wanted to be able to relieve this, this, this problem that's going on and to solve this problem. But they wanted to do it because their hearts were at the ready to give when the apostle Paul came knocking. And they have the desire to do so, right? They have the desire to do so. So there's always a give to and a give from there. And so as we're thinking through this whole process, I want you to know that God's not just interested in you writing a check. What he's interested in is your heart. He wants you to be a part of this process. He wants you to surrender more of yourself to him in this process. And so we have these two goals, right? The first one is 100% engagement. Everybody's involved. I had somebody yesterday say, hey, um, you know, I prayed and uh, I got a lot, I got two lottery tickets and I said, God, I'm gonna give you 
30 million, I'm gonna give the church, Grace Church, $30 million if I win. I was like, why'd you need two? There's no faith in that. Just buy one, right? Like there's no faith in that. Plus, plus I think the take home was 891 million. So you just ripped us off $50 million. I'm like, that's no good. Like that's terrible. That whole thing was wrong. There's nothing, but, but let's just hypothetically say somebody came and said, man, here's $30 million, right? Would we be done? We would not be done. Why? Because it's all about what we're going to give from. And this is what is good for you in this matter. It's helpful for us to say, we're all going to sacrifice. We're all going to trust the Lord. We're all going to take our next step in terms of generosity. You know, our church has always been this kind of place. It really has. It's always been a giving place. In the 20 years that I have pastored this church, we, my wife and I, we started it, if you didn't know that. But in the 20 years that it's been around, God has always showed up and he's been faithful, right? And, and here's the way in which he's been faithful. Week one, we had like 20 or 30 people and the offering was $3,000. And now we're trying to raise 30 million, right? $3,000. And you know what that did for us? That allowed us to come back the next day the next week rather, and do some church a little bit more. And then we had a little bit more and we had a little bit more and just God was faithful over and over and over again. And we were able to show up over and over again. Why? Because the people of grace has, have always been big hearted generosity type people. We just have always been this way since day one. And I have to tell you that it is my great honor to be able to preach in a church and teach in a church where the people are generous. I have friends that lead churches who have to constantly beg for money. And that is to the shame of the church that they are a part of. The church should never be empty of resources. We should always have what we need to be able to do what we're called to do. Why? Because everything we own is owned by God. We are just temporary managers over the things that we have. Second Corinthians chapter eight, the next verse 11 says this, Paul talking to the church, he says, okay guys, you've committed. You're like, I'm ready to go here. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Let's take a look at this. He says, finish the work. I want you to, now it's time to give. You guys have said, yeah, this is what we wanna do. We have a heart of generosity. We wanna be able to do this. Now, today is the day, just like it is for us. This is what we're doing, just as he was doing, talking to the church 2,000 years ago. Today, we've gotta finish the work. We're gonna make our pledges today. We're gonna set the pace for what's gonna happen over the next two years of our giving so that, watch this, your eager willingness. This is the giving from. I hope that you are eagerly willing to do it may be matched by your completion of it. And as Paul went through the Corinth, there were other churches in Macedonia who heard about the fact that Paul was raising money. And Paul didn't even ask the Macedonian churches if they would give anything because they were so poor that Paul was like, I don't wanna take from the poor to give to the poor, right? He's like, I wanna help those who are poor, but I want to help with those who have some resources. This is why he says, what your gift is, is according to your means. What does he mean by that? This is what he means. If you just have a little bit like this, like if God has entrusted you with a little bit like this, right? Here, here's what that means. We've all, I think not everybody, but we, most of us have been in places where we've had very little. My wife and I, when we first started out, we had very little, but you know what we did? We realized even the very little that we had belonged to God and it wasn't mine and it wasn't hers. So here's what we did. Here's the principle behind it. The Bible teaches us that he or she who is faithful with little will be given more. And then when we are faithful, we were given more. And when we we're faithful, we we're given more. And when we've been faithful, we've been given more. Why? Because we've been faithful all along. What God's willing and ready to do is trust those who are trustworthy in the process. And so if you come right now to this whole thing, you're like, bam, this is what I've got right now, man. This is all I have. Trust him with it. Trust him with it and trust God. But you don't have to walk around being anxious that you weren't able to give like so-and-so gave. 
No, that's not what we do. We're not in competition with each other to give. What you do, the Bible says, if you have this much, you bring this much. And when you bring this much and trust the Lord with it, say, God, if you don't show up, if you don't show up, I'm not gonna be able to do this, right? If you trust him like that, the gift is acceptable, the scripture says, right? But if you've been trusted like this, if you've been entrusted with many resources, we come with many resources. My wife and I have, we, you know, on, uh, on um, advanced commitment night, we wrote down a number and then we were like, uh, two days later, we're like, I think we do better than that. And then like a week later, we've had to change it like three times. So like, it's just God, because he's like, hey, are you really trusting me with this number? We're like, oh, we can do that. We can do this. And we're just trusting. We're trusting him. It's not according to what you don't have. It's just according to what you have. So bring what you have. Ask yourself, how has God blessed us? How has God worked with us? And in that way, your gift is acceptable. And it's interesting because remember, Paul's trying to solve this problem. And we are also trying to solve some problems that I wanna talk about in just a minute. And it's not just about giving to the church, it's about being able to see how this is gonna translate into the lives of other people becoming followers of Jesus and also other people getting the help that they need psychologically and emotionally. In the same way that Paul's people were ready to rise to the challenge, so are we. We're ready to rise to this challenge. You guys are the third service that we've had uh, in this process. And we're ready to meet the needs of those around us. Now he's, Paul's encouraging us, finish. Let's finish this. But just as we're finishing this series right now, the work of what we're gonna do with all of these resources, how we're gonna employ them around Central Florida, it's just beginning. I mean, I'll tell you right now, just with complete transparency, my wife and I are exhausted after nine months of doing this. I told her last week, if we can just be honest, like super honest with you, I don't wanna talk about money anymore. I'm just like, I've been talking about it a while now. And we don't talk about it a lot at Grace. It's important to talk about it. It's an important subject, but I'm just done. So if you guys could pony up, uh, <laughs> it would be super helpful. Um, it'd be super helpful. Uh, so I don't have to talk about it anymore. Um, but our work is just beginning, right? We're trying to solve some problems. So here's the challenge. We've seen a lot of people walk away from the church. We've seen a lot of people walk away from the church. And uh, not this church. We're just talking about the church in Orlando. In fact, Grace is growing right now at the fastest rate that it's ever grown at. And I think part of that is why, the, the, the fact that we're addressing some of these things I'm about to address. Um, I was looking at CNBC the other night, and I was looking at a poll, and it said that Orlando is the 10th fastest growing city in America, right? So um, as we have a numbers of increasing people coming to Central Florida, like our job is to be able to reach out and help people. But what we see correspondingly as the, as the attendance of, or the, the residents in Central Florida or Orlando is growing, the number of people attending church is diminishing. And the reason for that is because we've become one of the largest de-churched cities in America. And one of the reasons for that is this, the church has disappointed people in the process. I don't know that all those people that are not in church anymore are not followers of Jesus, but here's what I know. They will eventually not become good followers of Jesus. Here's why. You don't have to come home to your wife and still be married. You don't have to come home to your husband and still be married. You can be married and not come home but eventually it's gonna cause a rift in the relationship. As you invest in that relationship, that relationship grows. Same way in your spiritual life and in your relationship with God. You don't have to come to church, but it's gonna diminish your relationship with God eventually, right? So 
The reason for people leaving are all kinds, and there's all kinds of legitimate reasons why people have left the church, but I, it's kind of like, you know, if you have a bad business experience with somebody, just raise your hand in the room if you've had a bad business experience with someone in the world. Raise your hand. Come on. Okay. All right. Yeah. Have you given up on business altogether? Of course not. Like, no, no, that's what I still have to do, right? When you have a bad experience with the church, you don't give up on church. You just continue and go, this is what we, this is what we do. It's who we are. We're going to continue to do it. You have to find the right business people. You have to find the right churches. You have to find the right connections. And that's where we are right now. But the church hasn't been for many people what it needs to be. So I'm going to talk about two areas where I think Central Florida and the churches in Central Florida have faltered, I'm not naming specific churches. This is, just, this is just my observations of being an elder in the city of Orlando for 30 years and having grown up in Central Florida. Two areas where I think Central Florida and the church have faltered. Number one is churches have not been biblically based. I can't tell you how many people come to Grace now and they say, Pastor Mike, I'm so glad that each week we just go through scriptures verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And the reason why we do it, and I'll tell you about that in a second, but they said, when we come to this church and we start learning, you're like, here's the original Greek in this, here's the background. He's, over and over and over again, people have come and said, hey, um, we've learned more being at Grace in the last six months than we did in our previous church for the previous 20 years. That's terrible. Why? Because everything we know about God comes to us through the Bible. Otherwise, watch this, otherwise, whatever imaginations we have about who God is, apart from the Bible, is just that. It's an imagination. And you go, well, what's wrong with holding on to an imagination or some kind of pleasant fiction? Here's what's wrong with it. When your life does this and you smack into a wall, your pleasant fiction or your view of God not based on scripture will not support you. It will not come to your aid. It will not help you. What we have is a scripture that shows us the real God throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, whose desire is for you to be in fellowship with him, relationship with him, connection with him, for him to be your father and to love you really, really well. That's who he is. And when you fall down and you hit a roadblock in life and everything falls apart, you actually have a living God who intervenes on your behalf, who is there for you in the middle of the sorrow. So the difference is one that is fake and one that is real. And everything that we know about, the, about God comes from the scriptures. And so a church that is scripture-less is God-less. And it has to be based on the scriptures. We have to focus. And so what does that mean? That means that our weekend services must be focused on teaching the scriptures in a way that makes sense for today's listener. And as long as God lets me be the steward of this church, we're gonna focus on the scriptures in our services every single time. So what we do, it's who we are, it's how we know God. The church isn't a place for politics because politics has actually replaced a lot of this gospel and Bible teaching in the churches. You know what happened? Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, we started believing that the way that you change the culture and you transform morality in the culture is that you create laws that force people to do what they're, they're supposed to do. The problem with that is that the entire New Testament is built upon the idea that the law does not transform. It doesn't change a person. You can put a gun to someone's head and say, you will do this and they will do it. But it doesn't change their heart. In fact, it might make them hate you. And so what we do instead is we want to see people's lives changed and transformed. We care for them, we love them, and we teach them the gospel. One of my most encouraging things that I hear about grace all the time is people come in and they're like, 
had this conversation with this guy uh, who's, um, who's coming from a Presbyterian church, and he said, Pastor Mike, he said, we've just been here a little while, but I got to tell you, I've experienced more grace here, and I love Presbyterians. They're great. I, my, my theology in my head is Presbyterian. And, and I look at that, and I go, I, I think, he says, we've experienced more grace here than at any other place that we've ever been a part of. He said, we, just, we experienced it from the parking lot inward. He's like, we got here. Some guys said, hey, we're so glad you're here. You're going to love it here. And they were like, okay. You know, they go to the front door. You know, it's weird, right? It's just so kind. So they go to the door and there's someone there that's like, hey, we're so glad you're here. They're like, we got some donuts. And people were like, wow, it's good to have you here. They drop their kids off at the children's ministry. They're like, we care about your kids. You're like, you do? Really? I mean, these things matter. They matter. And so what we're gonna do, no matter what, and because people come to church They come to grace, everyone comes to grace, everyone comes to church for at least one of two reasons. Number one, one, they're broken because of the decisions and the choices that they've made in their life that have led them to bad places. I am victim of that same thing myself or the cause of that same thing myself. I've made terrible decisions in my life and it's why I found faith and God inside the church, right? So I I came to the church because of the bad decisions that I made. So So what we do at grace is we're gonna receive them we're not gonna go, hey, you made a bad decision, it's dumb, you did this yourself, you should deal with the consequences. No. I mean, the scriptures literally are the whole book's designed to say, you are not going to be your consequences. That Jesus took all the consequences from your life and on that cross, he played, God placed all of our consequences upon him. So he died and was raised to life for our consequences. And that's a beauty in the goodness of the gospel. So when someone comes in and they're actively sinful and they were drunk Saturday night, you should go to church on Saturdays, by the way. Uh, if, 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 if they were drunk on Saturday night and they come in, we're like, we're so glad you're here. You know the difference between um, sometimes AA meetings in the church? When somebody comes into an AA meeting, everyone, doesn't matter if it's the last five minutes, they're like, you made it. You know why? Because they're desperate because they see it, this is the last stop for them. And church needs to be like that. We need to realize this is the last stop for people. And so we're gonna grab them, we're gonna hug them, and then we're gonna point them in the direction of Jesus. And we're gonna allow the Holy Spirit to continue to change. We're gonna allow the scriptures to speak to them. I don't need to tell you that you're dumb for being drunk on Saturday night. I need to say, Jesus loves you. Point your feet towards Jesus and let the Holy Spirit convict you over time. We're patient and we're kind, we're gentle with people. We're gonna speak the gospel in a way that makes sense to people. We're not gonna jump into politics, but you know what the church is? It is a place for some to come, for us to come every weekend and be reminded of who we are in Christ. Six days a week, you have messages poured into you that are the opposite of the scriptures. People constantly trying to define who you are as a consumer or as a person or as an emotional, you know, your emotions, your, your thoughts, whatever it is. And we come at least one time a week and we say, God, pour back into, remind me who I am in Christ, that you are forgiven your sins, that you have been restored and set free from your sins, that God loves you, the Father loves you so much that he sent Jesus into the world to die for your sins, to remind you that you are whole in Christ and Christ alone. Anything else will disappoint you. We come for those reasons. It's a place to learn and to grow, a place to change into the people that God wants us to be for the rest of our lives. So the second challenge, the first one was not being biblically based. The second challenge that we have found is this, that the church has struggled in helping people recover from the brokenness of their lives. So here's a question to you. How can people hear the gospel if all they see in their life is their pain? 
thought experiment for a moment. We're driving down the road, you and me, and we come on a car. And the car is just, you know, smashed. There's been an accident. We get out because even though we're not doctors, even though we're not you know, trained in that, we're going to do whatever we can to help. So we take this guy, we pull him out of the car. He's mangled. His legs are broken. They're snapped, you know, and he's screaming and he's crying. You have two options in that moment. You can say to him, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. It's a weird option, right? But it's an option, right? Let me tell you about Jesus or, or, I'm gonna help bandage your legs the best that I can. I'm gonna help relieve whatever this needs to happen, right? Why is it a weird option to talk to Jesus? Isn't, Jesus, isn't the gospel the hope of the world? Yes, it is, but not the hope in the moment. Why? Because all he can do, she can do, is focus on the pain that they have right now and nothing else. Just take this illustration one step further. You go to the doctor, right? And God forbid, he comes back and he says, hey, you have an operable tumor inside your brain. And immediately you're not thinking anymore like, I wonder what I'm gonna do in like three to nine months. Or I wonder if I'm gonna make my bills. Or I wonder if like, like all these problems that I have, all the problems that you have in that moment, they completely go away and everything becomes brain tumor. And that's it, why? Because pain by its very nature focuses us on the pain itself to the exclusion of everything else. And in that same way, people are literally walking around Central Florida in an emotional pain that all they can do is look at themselves day in and day out. I'm so anxious. I'm so worried. I'm so fearful. I'm so mad. I'm so angry. I'm so rageful. I'm so whatever it is. And all they can see is that and that alone. But you know what? Do you know who actually does hear the gospel? Someone whose legs have been bandaged by you. Someone who you listen to pour out their broken heart and you cared for them because you earned the right to speak the gospel into their life. That's how I became a Christian, you guys. All I could see was my drunken, promiscuous, angry self. And someone came along and said, hey, let me listen to you and let me love you. They took me to church and they started pouring the scriptures into me. And one day I'm sitting there and my eyes were open. I started falling in love with God's word because it gave me direction in life. So many people need exactly that in our city. But we, we've, we've forgotten that they're in pain because we're focused on our stuff. And we need to refocus ourselves now. The reason why, people, the reason why those people walked away is they don't see help in the church. They don't actually see that it's a place that adds value. We talk a lot about the fact that I just don't want you to come to church and hear the lecture and then go, that was awesome, and then go home and not be changed. I actually want you to find value and we wanna add value to your lives every time you come. I don't just get up here and not you know, say anything important. We're, we're, here, we're not playing church or building a country club. We're administrating the gospel of Jesus to Central Florida. And for some reason, God's allowed us to be one of the great leaders in Central Florida doing that. Us is grace, and you're a part of that. So we want to rebuild the reputation of grace. Why? Because for many, they've seen religion, but no hope in churches. And we see Grace Church as a place of healing and of teaching for people in Central Florida, and God has raised us up for this purpose right now. We want to rebuild the reputation of Jesus and his followers as people deeply rooted in the truth, but also people who are radically compassionate. It's not how people think of Christians today. They think of us as judgmental. 
and rightly so, because many, many Christians have become moralists and not gospelists. Because of that, we're going to be doing a few projects. These are the things we're giving to. We're building a building for Oviedo in Winter Springs as God provides. It's going to be a place where grace culture thrives and where people are given the gospel and move from following the world to following God. People say, well, buildings are just useless. No, they're not. Grace Orlando would not be where we are today without a facility. If we were still meeting in Edgewater High School, what's happening here today would not be happening. Grace ministry happens at Orlando seven days a week. It's just not here. Like if you're not around, that just means you're not around. There are people doing ministry in this building every single day of the week. Same thing's gonna be true for Oviedo. Oviedo, it's gonna, it's gonna be amazing. Uh, it's gonna be a place where grace culture thrives and where people are given the gospel. They move from following themselves to following Jesus. It's gonna be a place where community happens seven days a week. It's gonna be a place where people are counseled, marriages happen, children play, hear the gospel, just like these, and take their first steps toward Christ. It's a place where lives are transformed. Even now, we're making a huge difference in Oviedo and Winter Springs. I grew up there, went to Oviedo High School. Grew up in Tuscaloosa in Winter Springs. You know what? When I graduated high school in 1988, the same churches are there. No new churches are in that area at all. It's an opportunity for us to be there to make a massive difference in this kind of country club world that they live in. It's a huge opportunity for us. But lives are also gonna be changed at our Winter Garden campus. Winter Garden is a place where relationship thrives. Let me tell you, like, like Grace Orlando is friendly, but man, Grace Winter Garden is the friendliest campus that we have. No joke. Like, it's the friendliest. Like, you come for the first time, someone will ask you to lunch. That's creepy to me. I gotta tell you, like, I'm just like, I don't know you. I'm not gonna go to lunch with you, like, randomly, Mr. Guy. But, but they, just, they just legitimately are that friendly. This is who they are. In fact, uh, Winter Garden was considered the Orlando's coolest suburb, according to magazines. It's a place where people are distracted in the shadow of Disney. They have everything. It's so cool out there. They've got the great infrastructure. They've got the highest per capita income of all of our campuses. But with the right staffing in place for Winter Garden, it'll become a place of life change as God works in the hearts of people who have it all. The Good Initiative is gonna fund everything that we're gonna do over the next two years and three years and four years in the process. But here, I want you to ask you a question. Imagine a day when we'll all look back on the decisions that were made here today, because we will. We'll look back at this with a whole different set of people in the future that are in addition to, you know, the people that are here right now. And we'll go, hey, you remember when we did this last time, what God did? Will we make a difference as families? Will you make a difference as an individual? I know we will. And I know that those who are changed by Jesus through what we do here today will be forever grateful. They'll be transformed. So not too long ago, we had our advanced commitment night and uh, it was amazing. And it was people who went first. And I love that because I believe in first leadership. I think that as somebody calls themselves a leader, they are people who step out in faith and trust and say, we're gonna be there, we're gonna jump in. I want you to see exactly what happened and hear some amazing stories from that night. Watch this. Father, we come before you right now and we're so excited for Advanced Commitment Night. God, we know that this is the beginning of something that you birthed in us a long time ago. 
that you have the desire for grace to be a place of teaching and a healing and restoration for people's hearts are broken all over Central Florida. I pray that it just is a confirmation to so many who are here tonight that what they've prayed about and what they've talked about and what they've engaged with during the Good Initiative is exactly where they need to be. Be with us tonight as we do what we need to do in order for these folks to be able to take their next step toward Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys, let's stand up, let's sing, let's celebrate our Savior together tonight. I'm so excited to be a part of the Good Initiative because this commitment means to me trust. It means hope, it means healing, it means all of that for my family and me, but also for the community that needs it so desperately. We're gonna have a faithful reliance on God's provision to actually truly believe that He is good and that good is ahead in our lives. Because of this, we can do good, we can expect the good, and we're gonna proclaim the good. Exactly six years ago tonight, we had our first advanced commitment night for big generosity to be able to get the building that we have next door. And you know what? We met here and this church, Circle Community Church, allowed us to use their facility for our children. And we had our commitment night over there. And now we're on this property and God has given the entire building to us. Isn't that amazing? The reason that we were very excited about being a part of this is because we've seen God work in amazing ways. The Good Initiative has really, I think, uh, caused us both to surrender completely. We have asked God for um, Him to turn our hearts to be more generous in our giving uh, because what we have is His, and so we want to be generous in giving back what is already His. Our resources are were given to us by the Lord in the first place, and they're, they're His anyways, so, um, so giving them back to the church and through this initiative is really an act of obedience for us. We all have such an incredible opportunity to trust God and sacrifice our time and our money and let Him work through us so that more people can be pointed to Jesus for healing. I believe that all of the stuff that we're doing right now is going to form the hearts of so many people who don't yet know Christ, who need to hear the gospel, who walk in shame and walk in guilt and walk in fear and walk in anxiety. And what they need to know is that Jesus loves them. And you know what? There's just not a lot of people out there screaming that. But what we are gonna do is release an army of people into central Florida to say, we're here to show the love of Jesus Christ. Because the love of Jesus Christ heals, it sets free, it gives freedom to the captive, and that's what our church is about. Amen? It's an opportunity to take a step into something that I don't normally do, I'm not normally comfortable with, or like at least push the boundaries of something that I was already doing, and so it's a good way to like stretch my faith. I get to join with a band of other people to help bring Christ to Orlando. We've been in seasons where we had to be completely and wholly dependent on Him, and we never want to lose that. We always want to be dependent on Him no matter what our life looks like. This is the first time where I'm, I'm putting the ball back in God's court, and I'm saying the only way this is going to happen is if you do it. That's why I'm here tonight. Do good. Expect the good. Proclaim the good. Good is ahead. It's amazing, huh? All right, everybody pull this out. You have one on your seat. Go ahead and just pull that out for me. 
I want to make sure that we're on the same page with everything. Uh, 100% engagement is what, we're, what we've been praying for and shooting for. That's our primary goal. We want you, because we, we believe that, as Paul said, this is best for you. And the $30 million as well as we're trying to accomplish, that's what we're going to be giving toward. But to figure this out, it's fairly, fairly simple, actually, um, but I'll run through it with you. Uh, at the top line right there, this is, this is what you normally give. It's like, this is what we normally give in a year, okay? The next one is what we're going to give in, as an increase, step of faith and trust in the Lord, right? And then it's times two years. Why is it times two years? Because this initiative lasts, it, it's actually 25 months starting in December, right? But then it goes for two years, right? So this is what we're pledging our whole thing to, for two years. This right here, this section right here that says my or our gifts from stored resources, this is just like savings that you might want to like donate to this. This green box is what you need to put all of that in, okay? That green box is where you put the rest of this in. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to give you like three minutes to just, as a couple, just sit here and, and look at this and pray. Because Kelly and I, like I said, we've already adjusted ours two or three times uh, as God has reminded us. And let me remind you kind of what we're doing here, right? So this is what Kelly and I have always done. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. We've gone up to the line of what I call the line of reasonability, right? And this is what's like, you know, yeah, it makes sense. This is what we can do as a family. This, this is good. This is safe, right? And so, bam, just one step, one big step, right? Past that. Why past that line of reasonableness? Here's why. Because if it's reasonable, then it doesn't require any faith or trust on your part. This is just easy for you, right? So this next thing, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that step, and this is the step where you say, only God can accomplish this. If God does not show up, I'm not going to be able to do this. And that's where we land, and that's where we've landed. So take a few minutes here, pray, talk to each other, make sure you're on the same page. Uh, just even as an individual, do the same thing, and I'm going to come back out. And then my wife and I are going to come down, and we're going to give first. And part of the reason why we do that is just visibly a representation of what we do all the time, which is we lead from the front, not from the back. We're never gonna ask you guys to do something that we're not doing, and we're never going to do as I say, not as I do, right? We're all in, just like you guys. All right, take this three minutes.